tech guys to show like an old school intermission cartoon on the live stream. <laughs> Tell people to get their popcorn. All right. Yeah, we just got a lot of folks out of town uh, tonight, but uh, there's enough of us here to have church, right? Yep. Amen. All right, so hey, we are going to be in um, Isaiah 34 is where we're going to pick up tonight. And so uh, real quick, kind of recap. Last week we looked at um, some of the woes that Isaiah pronounced on Assyria. Remember Assyria, they're the big bad guy in this book. They, uh, one of the most wicked, if not the most wicked um, kingdom that uh, ever existed. They, they love to torture and, and, and maim and uh, not just destroy, you know, not just defeat their enemies. They wanted to humiliate and inflict pain on their enemies. So he uh, pronounced some, some uh, woes on them, some doom on them. Uh, and, you know, he talked about how God was going to treat Assyria the way that they treated Israel, how they treated his people. So in chapter 34, we're going to see uh, the, the judgment that the Lord is one day going to bring against all the nations, not just Assyria, uh, but especially he's going to talk about another nation we haven't talked a whole lot about in this book, and that would be uh, Edom. We've mentioned them a couple times. Uh, and then in chapter 35, uh, Lord willing, we'll get into that a little bit. These are a couple short chapters, but uh, 35 lists some of the blessings that go along with the return of the Lord. So yes, when he's coming back, he's going to come back with wrath and judgment uh, on uh, the enemies of God, but he's also coming back with blessings for his people. So... Um, before we get into it, there's a passage I want to read to give us a little context, but before we even do that, let's pray and ask God to help us understand all this stuff, okay? Lord, thank you for uh, giving us a place to gather tonight to worship and fellowship. Lord, we, uh, we know where uh, just a few of us gather that you are here in our midst, and uh, so Lord, we just pray that you would bless us tonight to uh, not only to sense your presence, but Lord, that we would get a clearer, better picture of who you are through your word. We know that's a big part of why the word, uh, you made sure that it was preserved for us, so that not only can we learn lessons from the lives of these people in, in these stories, but uh, God, so we can learn who you are. And as we learn who you are, we can learn who we can be in you. So God, we pray that uh, you bless the sermon, bless the message tonight, and bless us to be able to uh, to eat the fish and spit out the bones. Whatever we don't get right, help us to forget that. But what we get right, Lord, help us to take it and apply it and be transformed by it. We pray for your blessing and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so like I said, before we get into chapter 34, I want to give us a little bit of context because this is going to matter later. Okay, so Numbers chapter 20 is where we're going to go. So this is centuries and centuries before Isaiah. This is uh, when Moses is, is leading Israel through the wilderness, right? They're trying to get to the promised land. And so Numbers chapter 20, verse 14, it says, From Kadesh, Moses then sent messengers to the king of Edom. Thus your brother Israel has said, You know all the hardship that has befallen us. Now you notice that he, said, he calls us, uh, 
he says, we're your brothers, right? We'll explain that here in a minute. But your brother Israel has said, you know all the hardship that has befallen us. That our fathers went down to Egypt, and we stayed in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians treated us and our fathers badly. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out from Egypt. Now behold, we are at Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or through vineyard. We will not even drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway, not turning to the right or the left, until we pass through your territory. So he's just asking, please let us peacefully pass through. We're not going to take anything from you. We're not asking for anything other than safe passage. Verse 18, Edom, however, said to him, you shall not pass through us, or I will come out with the sword against you. Again, the sons of Israel said to him, we will go up by the highway, and if I and my livestock do drink any of your water, then I will pay its price. Let me only pass through on my feet, nothing else. But he said, you shall, you shall not pass through. And Edom came out against him with a heavy force and with a strong hand. And thus Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. So, um, that didn't go well, right? The nation of Edom, uh, if you don't know, they were descendants of a man named Esau. Esau was the brother of Jacob. So you might, you might remember a story about those two. They're uh, twin brothers. In the womb, Esau and Jacob actually struggled with each other, the Bible tells us. They were, they, you know, you think your family has problems? Those babies were fighting in the womb. Uh, God told their mother, Rebecca, that, um, that they would become two nations. And the older would serve the younger. And so Esau... <clears throat> is actually the older of the two. He came out first. Uh, you can read about that in Genesis 25. So as an adult, as the, as the boys grew up, uh, you know, normally the inheritance goes to the oldest son, and uh, Jacob wanted uh, his brother's inheritance. And uh, so there's a bunch of, we couldn't, we don't have time to get into all of it, but he, uh, he kind of, cons Esau a little bit, but Esau kind of goes along with it too, and he trades his inheritance for a bowl of soup. And afterwards, it uh, says that he, he hated his brother for this. Right? That he, um, he wasn't really fooled, but he didn't, I don't know if he just didn't think Jacob would hold him to it. Whatever it was, uh, they, they had problems about, uh, about this afterwards. They eventually, they sort of make up, um, but there was this rift between their descendants from that day on. And so if you read through the scripture, there are numerous cases where Esau's descendants, the Edomites, uh, where they would uh, perform raids on Israeli territory, they would, uh, um, you know, kidnap people, and, you know, they never really went full on to war, but... 
but it was close to it. David eventually subjugates them for a while. Um, but there's a rift between them for centuries. But because they were close relatives, um, God actually, in Deuteronomy, he actually forbade the, the Israelites. He says, you know, you, you're not to hate them. You're not supposed to hate these people. Even though they cause you problems, they are still family. And when I read that stuff, I'm like, dang it. You know, because I don't know about you, but there's a couple folks in my family that I'm like, Lord, are you sure? Like, I, do I not get a pass with this one? You know. But uh, anyway, so in Malachi, uh, there's a, he, he says some things, God says some things about uh, the descendants of Esau that later are quoted in Romans 9. Uh, where he says uh, that Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. Right? Maybe you've heard that passage before. Usually it's, it's people use that passage, they kind of twist it to teach a pet doctrine that it's not intended to teach. Uh, God never hates Esau in the way that we think of hate. Right? He just, uh, Jacob had a, a favored position over Esau. Because Jacob, um, for one, got his father's inheritance. Esau didn't care about his father's inheritance. Jacob, his family, uh, became the tribes of Israel. Esau, his descendants, did not believe, didn't follow God. They ended up worshiping false gods. Um, and so, you know, they... Uh, one enjoyed a, a more favorable position in God's eyes than the other. So like I said, Jacob, eventually he has 12 sons. Uh, each of them, he, you know, they become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's through one of those tribes, it's through Judah, that uh, eventually Jesus is born into that bloodline. Conversely, Esau, his descendants become the Edomites and the last Edomite that we the last person in the Bible that we know for sure was an Edomite is Herod the Great so those two bloodlines they disperse like this all throughout the Middle East all through history and then a few thousand years later they converge back to this guy tries to kill the baby on this end those two bloodlines are still we're still warring against each other. Now, <clears throat> over time, the Edomites, they've kind of di disappeared through, from history. Because basically, um, Israel eventually you know, subjugates them again, and they, they're sort of absorbed into Israel. But there's still some rifts between them. Um, we'll, well, we'll get into that more. Anyway. So all that, there's our little context. Let's go back to Isaiah 34, verse 1. He says, Draw near, O nations, to hear, and listen, O peoples. Let the earth and all it contains hear, and the world and all that springs from it. For the Lord's indignation is against all the nations, and his wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. So there's a moment where the Lord is going to go against all the armies of the world. 
Uh, we have a name for that, right? We make movies about it. We call it, anybody know what we call that, this big battle? Armageddon, right? It's not just the Ben Affleck movie. And all that means is Hill of Megiddo. It's, it's just a place. That's all it is. Uh, but in Revelation chapter 19, we get, remember, Isaiah and Revelation, they, they kind of work, uh, you know, they work together. Isaiah introduces things um, in a general way. He gives us a, you know, a 10,000 foot view. And Revelation fills in a lot of the details of what Isaiah is telling us. So Revelation 19, I'm going to read probably more verses than we need to here, but um, why not? I can't help it every time I get to this chapter, I just have to keep reading because it's, it's such good stuff. So this is what Revelation says is going to happen. Verse 11, it says, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. You know, there's another place in Scripture where it talks about that the Lord is going to give us a new name that is just between him and us. Like a, kind of like a pet name or a nickname. That's so cool to think, like, he's, he knows how many hairs are on your head, but he also has, like, a, a name that he, only he calls you. I hope it's something cool and not like, you know, hey, Flappy, or something like that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, I hope, I hope he gives me a good one, but anyway. <laughs> Verse 13, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. All of those are things that we've talked about previously in Isaiah. Right? Verse 16, And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly, in mid-heaven, come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. You notice how many times he mentions kings there. Verse 20, and the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast. Again, that's something we're going to cover later in more detail. And those who worshipped his image, and uh, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. So there's some cool, beautiful stuff, but there's some ugly reality in there, too. If the Lord comes back and defeats all the armies of the earth in one big battle, that's going to be messy, right? There's going to be a lot of, a lot of dead bodies, 
And the angels, an angel comes and calls all the birds on earth to come clean up. We'll go back. Isaiah 34, verse 3. It says, So their slain will be thrown out, and their corpses will give off their stench, and the mountains will be drenched with their blood. Again, this is mentioned again in Revelation 14, where it talks about that the blood in the valley will be up to a horse's bridle. So that'd be like five or six feet deep, you know. Whether that's literal or figurative, I don't, I don't know. Either way, it's going to be messy. It's going to be ugly. Verse 4, And all the host of heaven will wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. What song is it we sing that has that line in it? Hmm? It's in that one, too. That's not the one I was thinking of. Well, anyway, there's a bunch of songs that have that line in it. but It's not American Pie. It's a different one. All their hosts will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine or as one withers from the fig tree. So the point is, the Lord is going to come. He's going to judge all the nations, it says. And it's going to be like any other time in history. Uh, it says the sky is going to be rolled up like a scroll. Uh, even the stars are going to be blotted out. Again, whether that is literal or figurative, the point is this is, this is end game. Right? This is, uh, you know, they make 19 Marvel movies to get to end game. Right? This is where it all leads. This is the big the big battle. Verse 5, it says, For my sword is satiated in heaven. Behold, it shall descend for judgment upon Edom and upon the people whom I have devoted to destruction. Now, my sword is satiated. like the, It means it's full. It's Basically, this is a weird way of saying God saying, look, I've had it up to here. You know, this is... This is the last straw. But you know, he mentions all the nations, but what does he say? I'm going to descend for judgment upon Edom and upon people whom I have devoted to destruction. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is sated with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Now, does Basra, does that word sound familiar to you? Basra is a real, it's a real place still today. Uh, it's, in, uh, it's in Jordan. So I mentioned earlier that the Edomites, they've kind of disappeared from history. They were sort of absorbed into a couple different cultures. Um, Basra... When the Edomites were a powerful nation, that was their capital city. So Jordan was Edom, right? They're the neighbors of Israel. There's another uh, couple of brothers who, in the Bible, that create, again, two different bloodlines, two different sets of descendants. We've got uh, Isaac and Ishmael. So Jacob, you know, he comes from Isaac. Ishmael, his descendants, God says that 
they're always going to be a problem for your descendants, Isaac. These two nations, these two bloodlines are always going to be at war. Uh, they're going to be a great nation, but they're always going to be a problem for you. They're basically, they are always going to be your enemies, but yet you should still love them. The Ishmaelites um, became uh, the nation of Islam, basically, the mu Muslim nation, Muslim people. And they, they will not argue with this. Uh, they will not argue with you about this. Hmm? Yeah, well, anyway. Uh so, um, Edom is warned in Ezekiel, in Second Chronicles, in Malachi, in Jeremiah. They're warned over and over and over and over. The nation of where Edom was is Jordan. It's 99.5% Muslim. So Ben's right. Not every person that descended from them is a Muslim, but... Uh, that's where uh, that bloodline kind of leads. And in Jeremiah 49, uh, he warns them again, and he says, uh, your arrogance has deceived you. He says that you like to bring terror. I will show you real terror. In other words, I'm going to bring judgment upon you. So, we're going to read on. We'll see why I'm bringing this up. Verse 7, it says, Wild oxen will also fall with them, and young bulls with strong ones. Uh, thus their land will be soaked with blood, and their dust became greasy with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Its streams will be turned into pitch, and its loose earth into brimstone, and its land will become burning pitch. It will not be quenched night or day. Its smoke will go up forever. From generation to generation, it will be desolate. None will pass through it forever and ever. But pelican and hedgehog will possess it, and owl and raven will dwell in it, and he will stretch over it uh, the line of desolation and the plumb line of emptiness. Its nobles, there is no one there whom they may proclaim king, and all its princes will be nothing. So the point is, God says, I'm going to judge this piece of ground, basically. And all, you know, I, I was looking into this. Um, there are not that many countries left in the world that uh, have royalty. with Royalty that has power, I should say. That are ruled by a monarchy. Um... Only of all the nations that are ruled by monarchies, only three are not Muslim. Uh, so you've got like Bahrain and Brunei and Jordan, Kuwait, and Morocco and uh, Oman and Qatar and Saudi Arabia, uh, United Arab Emirates, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some. Um, I don't think that's. I think you know he he says. Uh, there will be nobody for you to make king because you're really into making kings. You're really into making princes. You really like this idea 
of having a king other than me. And I'm going to take that system down. There will be nobody for you to make king anymore. Verse 13, it says, Thorns will come up in fortified towers, nettles and thistles in its fortified cities. It will also be a haunt of jackals and an abode of ostriches. Uh, the desert creatures will meet with the wolves. The hairy goat also will cry to its kind. Yes, the night monster will settle there and will find herself a resting place. He's just basically saying, look, this, your place is going to be desolate. The tree snake will make its nest and lay eggs there. It will hatch and gather them under its protection. Yes, the hawks will be gathered there, everyone with its kind. Seek from the book of the Lord and read. Not one of these will be missing. In other words, he says, everything I say is going to happen. None will lack its mate, for his mouth is commanded and his spirit has gathered them. He has cast the lot for them and his hand has divided it to them by line. They shall possess it forever from generation to generation. They will dwell in it. So what is the biggest thing that is argued over in that part of the world? What's the main thing that people go to war with each other over in the Middle East? Well, that's why we go to war is oil, yeah. No, it's for land, right? Everybody's arguing about borders, and that's my land and not your land, and... Um, and God says, you know, you so badly wanted to capture this little strip of ground called Israel. That when I come back, I'm going to make your strip of ground desolate. Because God's economy is always, it's just upside down from our own. Right? He, he says that the first shall be last. Uh, that you need to lose your life to find it. And he says, so you're so concerned with getting land, that's the one thing I'm going to make sure you do not get. Now after all that, we go into chapter 35. We see what happens afterward. Isaiah 35, verse 1. It says, the wilderness and the desert will be glad. The Arab will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout, uh, and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord. The majesty of our God. Encourage the exhausted. And strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart. Take courage. Fear not. Behold your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come. And he will save you. So he's describing, you know, that there is, there's this time coming when, yes, it's going to be ugly to get there. We're going to go through some ugly stuff, but the Lord is coming back, and he's going to set up his kingdom, and that's going to be beautiful. And then he says, so encourage those who are exhausted, the people who are starting to lose heart. You're getting tired. That's part of why we study the end times. You know, sometimes we get that question, like, why does it, you know, if we believe that uh, you know, if you believe, especially if you believe in like a pre-tribulation rapture, why does any of this matter? Well, there's, there's a few reasons. Uh, but one of those is that, you know, we, we're learning about the hope of heaven. We're learning about what is to come, and that should excite us. Hebrews 11 says that Abraham, uh, by faith, that he looked forward 
to a city whose architect and builder was God. He never got to see it, right? But he looked forward. His whole life was driven by the fact that he knew there was a time when the Lord was going to uh, have his kingdom. Uh, And so what kept Abraham going was looking beyond earth to heaven. And so that's in Hebrews 11. And then in the next chapter, the author of Hebrews quotes this passage from Isaiah. And he says this in Hebrews 12, verse 11. He says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. In other words, when someone is going through a dark time, maybe they're going through a time of discipline, maybe maybe they really have screwed up. Maybe it's not just that uh, everything worked out against them. Maybe they really brought it on themselves. Either way. They may be going through a time of discipline or through a time of struggle, and God is trying to teach them something through it. Your job is not to be like Job's wife and say, curse God and die. Or, or like Job's friends, well, what, did, what sin did you do to bring this on yourself? But if, if that's what it is, they already know. Your job is to remind them of what lies ahead. That I know this is a hard time for you right now. But remember what lies ahead. Remember the hope of heaven. Look forward to what is to come. Isaiah 35, verse 5. He says, Then the eyes of the blind will be open, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the air above. The, score hit, uh, the scorched land will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, its resting place, grass becomes reeds and rushes. So when um, there was a couple words in there or a couple phrases that might, may have tickled your brain a little bit or sounded familiar. When John the Baptist was uh, imprisoned for rebuking Herod, who was what? What bloodline was he? He's an Edomite, right? Maybe it's coincidence. He began to doubt whether or not Jesus was the Messiah, right? Because John, he, he was in a dark time. He was in a hard, going through a hard time. And he sent some of his disciples to Jesus to go, look, did I get this wrong or not? Because I've been trusting in you, and, and it's not going well for me right now. And then Matthew 11, verse 2, says, Now when John, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. So Jesus 
again, quotes this portion of Scripture. He says, these things are happening. So he fulfilled that to a degree in his public ministry. He's going to fulfill it on a larger scale when he comes back and does away with death and sickness and all of that. I think we've got time. We'll read on a few more verses here. Isaiah 35, verse 8, it says, A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. So remember how we started the message way back when. Back in Numbers 20, what did they say? They said, can we pass through on your your king's highway? And they were like, no, absolutely not. Moses asked Edom, please let us pass through. And Edom told him to kick rocks. And now the king of kings comes and says, I'm going to build a highway. I'm going to call it the highway of holiness. And only my people can walk on it. You're so concerned about your little strip of ground, I'm going to make it desolate. You, you wanted to make sure to not treat my children right, I'm going to make sure that they've got only the best. Verse 9, no lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go up on it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion. With everlasting joy upon their heads, they will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Now listen, those last couple verses, he threw out a couple words there. He talked about the redeemed and the ransomed. This has not been a big theme in the book of Isaiah yet. It's going to become the main theme of the book in short order. So he's introducing, uh, he's beginning to formulate his theology of redemption, which is going to be a big deal. Uh, and so we're, we'll get into that as more, uh, as we get further into the book. So long story short, what's our takeaway? Number one, it does not, uh, doesn't pay to work against God. I don't, think it work, I don't think it pays to work against Israel, for that matter. Um, it's not in your best interest to oppose them. Even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. Because for all the bad things we had to say about Esau and his descendants and Edom, it's not like Israel were like a shining example of all the great things you should do. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Genesis 25 and you read the story of Jacob and Esau, I think Esau is probably the better guy of the two. Jacob's kind of a crook. But that's for another time. Anyway, uh, so even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. And finally, in hard times, um, keep your focus on what lies ahead. Because the best is yet to come. So let me read you one more verse, or two verses, and we'll close. Colossians 3, Paul summed it up this way. Verse 1, he says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. 
Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you that uh, you are still faithful to us even when we are faithless. Even when we botch it, uh, you, are, you are a holy God that is always right and true. Uh, and we're, we're so thankful that we can turn to your word and in an uncertain world see absolute certain truth. God, we just pray that you would help us to, uh, to keep our focus where it should be, on you, that uh, we would not lose heart, uh, that we would not grow weary, but that we would uh, keep our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, we pray for blessing on this church, on your people, and pray this in Jesus' name, and we pray you come and come quickly. Amen. Ready?